0: Busy to cook? Don't want a grocery shop? Take back your life. Let witnessing nature and food provide you and your family with eco-conscious, organic, tasty, nutritious meals. Headed by internationally trained chef Jennifer Johnson, you will enjoy the helpful food your body craves. Choose from meal prep, meal plans, catering, or cooking class services. Just go to witnessingnature.net. Witnessingnature.net. It's what's in the food that matters. Eat organic, witnessing nature in everything.
2: Welcome to our podcast, Food to Love. I am Chef Jennifer, your host, and my company is Witnessing Nature in Food. I am dedicated to building a health as wealth community so we can all live happy, healthy, fulfilled lives. Witnessing Nature in Food is deliberate in using distinct ingredients, organically grown, Cleanly made in all aspects of our food delivery, as well as our education services. We healthy food through educational seminars and cooking classes. We promote locally sourced, organic, sustainable food, providing you and your community with a fantastic experience for all of your celebration needs. After all, as communities, we tend to commune the best over and around food, so it should be food to love. Today, my guest is one of my friends, which I hugely admire, Dr. Stephen Soar. He's a highly recognized natural medical professional who has frequently been featured on local media and spoken in high-profile venues. He shares his expertise and passion for living a healthy, happy life without surgery or pharmaceuticals. Dr. Soar is a licensed naturopathic medical doctor with an advanced training in prolotherapy and regenerative medicine, functional medicine, and bioidentical hormone replacement. Say that 10 times fast. And since he hates being super bored, he also has been practicing yoga since 2000, teaching yoga since 2007, focused on healthy alignment, joint health, and posture. He holds a faculty position at Sutra Studios Yoga Teaching Program, Um, Teaching on anatomy, physiology, and alignment. He received his doctoral degree from Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, his BS in Biological Sciences from ASU here in Tempe, and his Associate of Business Management from SCC. Prior to his medical career, he was classically trained as a French chef at Le Cordon Bleu in Scottsdale. He received his Associates in Culinary Arts and Science. Again, he just really hates being bored. Um, He grew up in Margate, which is just down the street from Atlantic City, New Jersey. He's a deep interest in science and nature, whether it means going to the beach, gardening, fishing, hiking, or cooking. His own journey to heal his back injury is what set him on the path to treating and defining the root cause symptoms instead of just temporarily masking the pain and discomfort with medication. So if you're looking to see how you can solve issues without or with reduced pharmaceuticals in your life, then you have come to the right place because we have the man, my friend, Dr. Stephen Soar in the house today. He is such an awesome spirit and presence. and I simply love his mission and vision. And well, you know, it kind of includes food too, and I love food. So I am so excited to have you, Dr. Soar, on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Jen.
2: So tell us, all about your um, what inspired you to get into this field? I mean, I know that you have a back injury and that um, that kind of had an idea or cemented. that Did that cement it or just start you in that theory in that theory because I know you were a chef before that. And so just tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to get here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the back injury when I was 18 really just changed my trajectory and it started me on this new path. And as I learned more and more about my own body and becoming healthy, Uh, it really just led me into it. So it was not right out the get go. It was learning a little bit more about how to live in my body and to be a healthier person. So, um, by the time I was teaching yoga, um, years later, it just hit me over the head that I have to really, if I'm going to do it, I'm really going to go all in and do it. And, uh, when I found out about naturopathic medicine, it just made complete sense to me. And, um, here I am years and years later and just practicing medicine, absolutely loving it. So rewarding.
2: I know you just opened up your um, business, and I, in fact, was fortunate enough to be able to cater for your grand opening. I was so excited about that. Um, so tell us more about how you engage with your customers, because, you know, weight is not always an indicator of internal health. And I know, you know, a lot of skinny people that have internal health issues, Um And I think that when you mentioned something really important about listening to our bodies and how we react to the different things that happen to us. So talk about some of the engagements you have with your customers.
1: Yeah, so the way that we go about this is, to explain it, it's what we do is help people look and feel better without drugs and surgery. How we do it is with the regenerative and the functional medicine. But why we're doing it, the real reason why we practice this Style of medicine is because the current healthcare system is broken and I just like so many other people are frustrated with the way healthcare is run in this country. There's always been a time and place like emergency medicine, something catastrophic, but for everyday life and little things, it, they don't know what to do. Uh, a regular medical doctor gets little to no training in nutrition. And you would expect a doctor to know something about nutrition when dealing with your body, and it's uh, really, really bleak. It's miserable, actually. So, to to understand how vitamin C or vitamin D works in your body, and to not be and to be a doctor and not know that is very perplexing. So, when we're approaching a person um, in a natural or holistic method, it's understanding what the body is missing and refilling the body. Our, we have to constantly consume um, because we are not perfect, right? This is not a perfect system, which means there's waste. That's why we need new calories and new vitamins and new minerals and antioxidants and every, in our body and, all the time.
2: And everybody's different, right? I mean,
1: not Everybody. every, not
2: no two people are the same, even twins. Right.
1: right. I mean, humans are human, so there's a lot of similarity, but there are little differences along the way, and genes play, you know, maybe 5 or 10%, but the rest of it really is about the individual and the environment, both inside and out environment, mind and body, inside and out, uh, and that matters, and, you know, really listening to a person is important. You know, one of the, uh, the things that sets me apart makes me unique is I won't see more than 10 patients a day. Now, that's a drastic difference. That's huge. Drastic difference from the 60, 70, or 80 patients a day that most healthcare practitioners are seeing just on, in general family practice, and it's ill-equipped. You can't tell what's wrong with somebody in 5 or 10 minutes. We need to know. We need to build a relationship with that person. These are not patients. These are not customers. These are not clients. These are people, and people know how to interact in a natural setting, and we've really lost track of that. So getting back and understanding really our roots and understanding our traditions and our cultures and and finding those common threads and then also celebrating those things that make you unique, what really sparks your interest and fuels your passion. I'm here to help. So however I can do that is the best medicine.
2: You're right. We can't do that in five or 10 minutes. I remember, you know, years ago when I would go to my, um, doctor for my annual checkup I would write a week in advance I would start writing down questions because if I didn't then I would not remember half of the questions and I would be miles away before I figured out that I needed to call them back and ask about this that or the other thing you
1: that know? So true. I hear that all the time yeah
2: and and the other piece too in five or ten minutes that's I think it's contributing as you mentioned earlier to the opioid crisis because it's easier to get a pill to fix the pain, as you learned through your back injury, than it is to actually figure out what created the pain and, and alternatives to help prevent it in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it actually makes the situation worse because pain is a very important signal. It's a survival mechanism, right? That pain is being sent out because something's wrong. If you turn that off or ignore it, and then you do something past where that pain threshold was, you raise the risk of hurting yourself even further. That's so a very it's good very dangerous. Point. And it's such a terrible band aid to give to people. But again, with our, our culture here in America, that quick fix I'm um, in a hurry, I'm too busy, I don't have time for this, it's not convenient. Just turn it off. It doesn't work. And um, it's very difficult. And making sure that people understand that if they don't take time, to take care of themselves, they're not going to have a self to take care of. And uh, you don't want to lose track of that. And I think it's really important. It's on philosophy. It's a paradigm shift. It's a different way of looking at things. But when I see people that are in the world of just a quick fix, like I was, you know, my father's a pharmacist, I'm very familiar with medications. My uncle's a surgeon, you know, I understand all of this very, very much so. But to kind of open your eyes slowly and start to see how you can do things that don't require that, you start to motivate, you invigorate yourself with this sense of, I can do this. I know how to self-heal, know how to take care of myself. And the doctor is meant to teach. The doctor is meant to inspire you and educate you about health and how to take care of your body right not to just turn off your symptoms it's a big mistake it's a big mistake
2: totally so. agree you know after i after i left i worked in corporate for I don't mean, maybe maybe we haven't had this conversation in the past but i worked at corporate for 25 years and traveled the world and and did all kinds of fantastic things but after i had left and started my business you know i was on my feet all the time and you know, when you're standing there, when you're standing and you're cutting all day and you're cooking all day, you're using your hands and muscles and so on. Um, I, I used to have a nervous twitch when I would be in meetings, like my knee would shake or my finger would shake or I'd, you know, twist a pencil or whatever it was. I no longer, I still had the nervous twitch, but I no longer um, had the free resources to be able to get rid of that twitch and realize that I started doing, I started doing it in my jaw and ended up with um, ended up with jaw problems because that's, that's where it went to. Um, And it took me a while to figure it out. So God bless, you know, yoga and stretching and so on, because it is so important when you're on your feet all day and God bless my orthotics, because I don't know what I would do without standing in my, in good shoes. Your feet are so important.
1: right. And how long did that take you before you noticed that, Jen? You know, you had these signals, you had these twitches, but when? how long did it take for you from twitching to figuring out you have the ability to stretch your body and move it? That takes time, right?
2: Absolutely. I will tell you it was probably a year, and it was a massive uh, jaw um, attack that happened in the middle of the night is what I realized what was going on.
1: Yeah, that's a crisis. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was it was absolutely a crisis. And now right. I stretch all the time, and I have the right orthotics in my shoes. It's just it was a huge it was a huge um, wake up point for me. Isn't that
1: amazing? I love that. Good for you.
2: <laughs> I still every once in a while I realize that uh, oh you haven't you didn't stretch today. That's why your shoulders not feeling so great. But yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, my body. I try to listen as much as possible even. how I feel within 20 minutes of eating it.
1: Mm. Unbelievable. Learning how to listen, right?
2: Yes, yes,
0: absolutely.
2: So let's talk a little bit. I know you're a vegan. And so let's talk a little bit about um, plant-based diets. Um, I know I have friends and um, my fiance, he's a meditarian And he's very serious about the fact that you just cannot get all your nutrition through vegetables. and, And no matter how many times I... I explained to him that yes, you you can that these different vegetables have different um, nutrition aspects to it. He's resolute that he must eat meat, which is fine. I eat more vegetables than I do meat and um, but you're you're a total vegan, and yeah. you know some people do it because they want, they don't want to have the animal cruelty, and some people do it for a reason. So um, let's start with by I guess my original point the um, well, the myth on nutrition that it could only be available in meat. What's your thoughts on that?
1: So, yeah, that, that, it really is completely not based in science that, you know, you have to eat meat in order to survive or any animal product. I mean, if you look at gorillas and elephants and all of the herbivores that are on the planet, they dominate the biomass. I mean, it's not necessary. And the human uh, physiology doesn't require meat. You know, we're not like that. Um, So it is a choice. It's definitely a learned behavior. There's culture to it. There are benefits of, you know, consuming animal products because they're higher in protein or fat, but um, they, I mean, still have nutritional uh, values to them. However, we know through journals of clinical nutrition, right? These are peer reviewed studies that have been done. Uh, cross-sectionally across the world over time looking at the healthiest populations on the planet and really diving into well what makes them a healthier population let's look at their diet let's look at what they are putting in and consuming on a regular basis and it's no shock or surprise that our country is not healthy we are the number one most modern world and we process foods you know Horrible. I,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, I went to culinary school, and you know, when you zoom out, it's like I went to a school that teaches you how to process foods, you exactly. know, from cutting and dicing and slicing, but you know, cooking it down with heat and then adding different ingredients um, to make with mouth flavors and textures. And I mean, you would never make a cake with bread flour. You have to make it with cake flour, and the difference between Cake and bread flour is all of that gluten protein. You don't want a lot of protein in that cake because it will make it tough. That's what you want the bread for, to have the chew, right? Where cake wants to be light and soft and fluffy and not have that chew, right? To create the proper crumb, you know, that, but both of those are processed foods. Not that, you know, everything, I mean, you have to manipulate food in some way to eat it. Um, An apple, you don't. A carrot, you really don't, you know, (laughs) wash the dirt off a little. A little bit, not too much, just a little bit. Um, but so, plant-based nutrition is, is not only a, a growing field in our country, but around the world. And there are major reasons why. No one died from fruits and vegetables unless they choked. Meat, dairy, eggs have been shown to raise important biomarkers of inflammation, oxidative stress, and free radicals, which are the causes, the underlying causes of many disease processes. Uh in fact, if you if you really zoom in and dive deep, uh there are certain bacteria that live in your gut, right? These are our probiotics. Exactly. Call those, yeah, call those like the good grass seed that lives on the dirt, right? And mm-hmm. eventually a weed can come in and, you know, take a stronghold and maybe even decimate that little local area, right? But what happens is with our body in a kind of more comprehensive way is we have many different species that live inside a healthy person's gut and different disease processes have different species and people who are very, very sick have very little diversification of species. So you go from like the Amazon rainforest to a desert and that's important very to understand. Good point. Very good point. Uh, yeah. Cause when you, when you, repopulate the body the the good bacteria into the gut uh you see these changes take place and you don't have to necessarily take a probiotic although i highly recommend that the right ones and the right strains of them to kind of build up that ecosystem it's called commensalism in ecology so there's the step-by-step process you can't put a tree on a volcanic rock and expect it to grow you need to have Smaller organisms begin to break down that rock and turn it into soil, and create that foundation for the bigger uh, species to jump in. Right.
2: I love how you make it. Yeah, I love how you make it sound so simple, so that people can actually understand it. That is fantastic.
1: Science gets very, very complicated. So if you can't paint the picture for people to understand it, really, it doesn't matter at that point. So making an analogy and looking and painting a picture is really, really important. So I wanted to uh, bring up just one instance of, of how change happens. And there is a bacteria that develops, that you know builds up in our guts if we eat meat. And if we eat meat, this bacteria breaks down carnitine, which is in meat, and produces something called TMAO. And TMAO in the body, in the bloodstream, causes inflammation of the arteries. And what's very interesting about TMAO levels is if you take a meat eater and you give them meat, you see an immediate spike in their blood levels of this TMAO. It's trimethylamine oxide. I promise I'll never say that again, but TMAO. (laughs) But what happens is if you take a vegan who's been vegan for a long time and you give them meat, the TMA levels don't go up in the blood. The bacteria that are in the gut are producing this. So if you give a red meat eater a salad, nothing happens, but it's the bacteria in the gut that are changing the internal environment in the person. And you can link those bacteria in your gut to depression, anxiety, cancer, fatigue, so uh, and so on, heart disease. I mean, the TMAO levels cause heart disease. This is proven in science. And I would like to, you know, just take a moment and say that science is factual. But what happens is, and I can also make another point on another thing that has happened recently, is as a scientist or a doctor writes a book, and that book becomes, you know, kind of gospel and spreads like wildfire. There's a problem. You can take research data and you can manipulate it. You can even skew a test, a a research study, to make the results appear favorable in your conclusions but when you break down the research uh, if it's not a good research study it has to be there's publication bias and it has to be thrown out so science also can get corrupted like anything else so being very diligent in understanding that
2: exactly I mean I've seen so many times where like one week so you come out saying soy it helps uh, prevent against breast cancer no soy is bad for you no wine is good for you no wine is bad for you I'm like please Right. It's just, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, that's some of the things that I struggle with on GMOs. You know I'm an, organic, I'm an organic chef, and I believe more in whole foods than I do processed foods. And um, it's just so interesting to see the differences between um, the results of somebody living on whole foods and more vegetable-based or more plant-based than it is on, on, on more meat-based.
1: It is I mean, a proven process. fact. It's not up for debate. The problem is, is it affects people's emotions. It's a direct slap in the face to their traditions and their culture and, frankly, their addictive personality that they have towards a certain food.
2: So true. Hey, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about this. Absolutely. Are you a speaker who has an inspiring, insightful message that will help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? If the answer is yes, we invite you to become a pro member of the eWomen Speakers Network. We have over 500,000 women connected through 118 chapters spread across North America. We're looking for speakers to share their wisdom and breakthrough ideas. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and join our Speakers Network. The benefits for pro speakers are incredible. Go to eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to Food to Love. I am your host, Chef Jennifer, with Witnessing Nature and Food. And I'm so excited to be back from this commercial break with Dr. Soar, who's on our show today. It's just, uh, I could talk to him for hours. And maybe even days, who knows. But I'm sure that uh, other people prefer, he actually uh, sees them in his practice. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, we were talking a little bit about um, plant-based diets and, and and the science behind a plant-based and you brought up something, you know, gorillas and so on that are, there are herbivores and they don't take supplements. They don't take, uh, they don't take supplements for, you know, calcium and other things in order to keep their bones. And they have a really long lifespan. So that's, that's just a really great, it's just a really great point. Um, And then you mentioned also about, you know, when you learned you're classically trained as a, as a chef that we are taught to, you know, of course, chop and cut things, but we're taught to cook them down. And in me searching for chefs and so on to be sous chefs and work in the kitchen and and things, it was really hard for me to get people to understand that you cook your vegetables, if you're going to cook your vegetables, cook them for a couple of minutes till they get a bright, brilliant color, and then it's done. It's over with. Get them off the stove because you want them to still be al dente and crisp.
1: Yeah, you can actually lose a lot of the nutrition right? When you cook it out too much, just yep. your vitamin exactly. C and your folic acid. So, um, and those are in our dark leafy green vegetables. So if you are cooking your dark leafy greens down to an army color green, you're losing those specific ones, which are crucial for the body. Vitamin C and um, natural folic acid, not the synthetic kind, um, are really essential for cellular health, collagen and you know maintaining your your health and your age
2: so true so very yeah. true let's see we talked a little bit about your inspiration for um what brought you to be a naturopathic doctor let's talk about food I know you still love to cook you went to culinary school we discussed and um I, I think I just explained that I'm an electrical engineer and I I'm an engineer and uh, I started In a Mother's Day card. So what inspired you to first go to culinary school?
1: This is a very, very deep, deep story for me. Very emotional, very near and dear to my heart, okay? So okay. my grandmother uh, always was with me in the kitchen, and she always taught me how to eat. And then starting at a very young age, I believe around seven years old, we, uh, she always used to take me out to the restaurants and teach me how to dine. And everything was pr- proper. And we visited the Bahamas, and there was this little French restaurant on Paradise Island called Cafe Martinique, uh, where it overlooks the lagoon. White glove service, Caesar salad tableside, Dover sole, lobster, all done tableside. I had escargot at seven years old, covered in butter and garlic oh, and parsley, oh, absolutely delicious with a little puff pastry on top, just in that perfect oh. little, yeah, everything. And then the chocolate souffle, I mean, who, what's better than dessert, right? The chocolate souffle with the grand marnier sauce poured in tableside. Everybody's mouths are watering now. I know it.
0: Oh yeah. Mine
1: too. <laughs> even, even down to folding the napkins into the intricate shapes and um, just the whole entire, the whole culture of, of fine dining and, and the French, culinary system um, just won me over and reminds me so much of my grandma. Um, That restaurant's no longer there. They bulldozed the whole island and built Atlantis. So I'm not very happy about that, but uh, the memory is still there and I won't forget that. So that was my initial inspiration into food. And uh, my mother really never liked to cook because my grandma was the cook. So she just Uh was a very good eater. (laughs) And so I kind of jumped into the kitchen, you know, at an early age and started playing around and, and finding different ways to make food. And I really took over cooking for, for the most part um, in high school. So watching culinary shows, you know, uh, Julia Child, Jack Pepin, and then Emeril Lagasse when the Food Network came out. I mean, I watched it from the day it went on. on. So just some amazing uh, role models about food. And so when I was at ASU, a freshman in college, I was an architecture major. <laughs> I love landscaping and, you know, plants and everything. So when my back blew and I'm sitting there like maybe something's wrong, I, I want I changed careers and I was laying in bed and I had this stroke of genius. I'm like, I should go to culinary school. I love cooking. It's, it's my, a huge story for me. So that's my inspiration. That's how I got into it. And I, I don't dislike or want to disown the fact that I went to culinary school, even though I don't, eat that type of food or cook like that. But it it gave me uh, this admiration to understanding that food is nourishing on so many levels and it's about the family and it's about people getting together and we're a social society and we are built around food. it's, It's a major part of connecting to each other.
2: That's fantastic. And that's actually, you know, the social society and the connection piece is really why I named my show Food to Love because we do spend so much time, Um, eating and communing around food. I mean, how many times have you had a a holiday party and and you may decorate the whole entire house, like example, at Christmas time or wherever, and you find everybody still in the kitchen all around the food?
1: It is primal. It is, is part of our culture. It's inherent. We always gather around the fire, if you will. And cooking and transforming food from raw into edible, like you can't eat a raw potato. So there's something about, you know, cooking it and transforming it. You don't eat, Beans raw, you cook them. You know, there's a part about that cooking, or tricky. (laughs) uh, Politically correct cooking. You have to cook meats now to, uh, especially killing off bacteria and stuff. Killing off
2: bacteria, right? Right. Yeah. I know that there's so much in uh, food safety, and um, Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's always very interesting to me. About, I mean, I spend an inordinate amount of time making sure that our environment is safe to cook in and all of our food is safe to eat because there's just so many people out there that don't care about that stuff. And it is very important to me that our food is nutritious and and nutrient-dense and so on.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So let's go back a little bit to naturopathic medicine. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of confusion about the different kinds of medicine out there, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, and then this, you know, category that is fairly recently Recently, the last 20 years or so, naturopathic medicine and how it differs from what other people say—homeopathic medicine and things like that. So, I think that maybe we ought to go back and define that um, and how you see the evolution of the. uh, Because I think there's lots of people like you that are, you know, working to make sure that we fix. We fix things so that we don't have um, the current medical system that we have, which is, you're right, awful.
1: Yeah, and um, to kind of answer that, I think it's very important to know that there are different types of doctors out there, and then also the individual matters. So um, you need specialties. You need to understand who to go to when a problem arises, you know. If you have a foot problem, you're not going to go to an eye specialist, even though your eyes might be the reason why you stubbed your toe. But you're going <laughs> to go to the foot. You see what I mean? Uh, but there's, there's you go to a dentist for teeth. You don't go there for a broken bone. Uh, so having different specialties and naturopathic medicine has been around for a very very long time. And you know, going back to the early 1900s, there were many different styles of medicine all being practiced. And in 1910, there was something called the Flexner Report, okay? This was like a journal study that reported on medicine. And uh, Aspirin, the company who made Aspirin, Bayer, funded this report and announced to the American Medical Association that drugs and surgery were the only and preferred method for healthcare, and that everything else should be considered quackery. And that spread nice. like wild because they had the funding behind America's first patented branded drug, bear aspirin. Before that happened, there were many different I styles. of medicine. Know I know. Isn't that cool? History, history, history. So after 1910, a lot of naturopathic schools, medical schools closed down. A lot of other types of medical schools closed down. And the predominating force was the allopathic, medical doctor or MD, right? Your medical doctor. Uh, The doctors of osteopathy, your DOs, have a very similar philosophy to naturopathic medicine and, you know, treating underlying cause. And uh, they worked with uh, the rules and the laws and the lobbyists and all that to get into our current mainstream of medicine. Um, And they believe in moving a bone like a chiropractor to uh, restore alignment but sadly only about uh 15 10 to 15 percent of DOs practice the art of moving and manipulating bones we're not talking about a dislocated shoulder we're talking about uh, adjusting it aligning it back into into good right. alignment or function right but DOs practice in hospitals and there are many doctors that are wonderful i i do not think that all MDs are bad or all DOs you know are, are bad i think that People are people, and you learn what you learn, what you're exposed to. And this goes into the curriculums, okay? Different medical schools have different curriculums. So going down the different lines of doctors that are here in the country, we have our MD, and we have the DO, which we talked about. I am an ND, or a naturopathic medical doctor. There are chiropractors, the DC. And then there's acupuncturists, the licensed acupuncturists. So those are the different types of doctors that you can go to see. But there's doctors of physical therapy. There's nurse practitioners and uh, uh, physician assistants um, who also hold uh, a very important role in healthcare and are very, very... There's some excellent practitioners across the board. All doctors really do want to help. Um, and it's not... Uh, the, the system has... has kind of shackled a lot of them due to insurance reasons and legality reasons, and um, it's a very complex subject. But naturopathic medicine really has an increasingly important role in helping a large percentage of our population with a large percentage of problems. It is so much better to treat something earlier on and just move a little degree versus waiting all the way to the end and trying to bend 90 degrees or 180. You know, it's very, very difficult to turn somebody around when they're all the way at that end stage. But if we started earlier and with proper education, right, the teaching component is there. And I think by spending more time with with a patient, that education component is there. And I talk to almost every single patient that comes in about what food is and how it helps you. If your food is wrong, when diet is wrong, medicine is of no use, and when diet is correct, medicine is of no need. That is an ancient, thousands and thousands of years ago, that proverb was created in uh, Eastern medicine, and it really does hold true to an overwhelming majority of a lot of problems that we see in this country. People get very stuck on trends or fads, and there's one that came out
0: recently
1: about the lectins in food. And a lectin is a type of a protein that's found in, in all sorts of foods and it's actually used in cancer diagnostics. It's a protein on the surface of cells, okay, across all organisms. And there's a doctor, uh, Stephen Gundry, who came out with a book called The Plant Paradox, which basically says that everything that has lectin in there is poison and you shouldn't eat it. And this is when I'm talking about when when doctors go bad to sell a book and then oh he's got products to fix all of the lectins and he's making a millions of dollars on on this false sense of uh, misinformation right so and people grow onto these trends and it's very dangerous because most people are not medically trained and don't understand how to look at research and understand it for the face value because these words are confusing right and and it's and everybody good.
2: wants a quick fix. They want to be able to take a pill and all of a sudden, ta-da, I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm 20 pounds lighter.
1: Exactly. So in one of the studies that, that is, I was talking about is saying that eggs are good for you and eggs lower cholesterol. Like, okay, you're going to say that statement really? in a research paper. Paper. <laughs> okay, One. So if you look at that research paper that was done, what they do is they – have a control group and then a variable group. So the control group is just eating everything that they're eating normally. The, The variable group is a problem because they did two different things on the variables. They took them off of all animal products except for eggs. So their total cholesterol went down because all of the other animal products have cholesterol in it.
2: Oh, yes, yes, yes.
1: So that's called disingenuous. That's lying straight to everybody's face for that intention to say that eggs are okay. Eggs have a very high amount of cholesterol, and they do raise cholesterol. So to say that eggs are good and they lower, that's, that's a lie. That's a blatant lie when you actually look at the research data. And um, it becomes very hard to know which doctor to trust because what that doctor believes in, they sell out of their and passion have- excitement.
2: And beyond that, you have people that use their own interpretations of yeah. whatever study was out there, right? So like with a ketosis diet, right? If you want to eat all meat products, you can put your body into ketosis. Right. And it was used to, you know, use healthy chickens and fish and um, vegetables. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, I can eat a hamburger and eight pounds of bacon and this as and this. Much fruit, as i do the same yeah. thing. Exactly.
1: Yeah. If a doctor ever tells you, that bacon is good for your health, you stand up and you walk out because <laughs> okay, you have no idea pay. what you're talking about. I'm don't not enough,
0: pay.
1: you know, so I, I I always have to, you know, preface, be like, I understand food tastes good. Everybody likes the taste of bacon. Everybody likes cheese. Everybody likes chocolate. These are very highly addictive foods because they light up your taste buds, they spark in the brain and they create a reward circuit. They release opiates in your brain, like casomorphin from dairy, for example. It explicitly makes you want them more. So you're going to be disposed to picking those foods. However, we do know that some foods are great, excellent at reversing disease process, and then others are great at causing a disease process. So it really comes down to the individual making a decision, having a discipline to say, I know there are all of these choices now in 2018. When I go to the grocery store, there are so many choices. Which one am I going to choose?
2: So true. And it used to be, it used to be, you know, when I was a kid, we grew up in a dairy farm, and you ate what was locally available right there. You didn't have all these international foods that were flown in. And you really, if you wanted seafood, you could be at risk of, because it could take a few days to get there. So you might want to cook it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it's just very interesting that, you know, and I think that was the next question I have for you is how important um, food is to the health of people. Um, and you, your opinion is on about it, but I think you've made that plenty clear. Um, and then I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I had this right. So um, you mentioned earlier about how food um, helps heal uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't the Hippocrates that did let food be thy medicine and the medicine be thy food.
1: That is correct. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, and he was like the original doctor. So, I mean, yes.
1: Yeah. You know, so it, uh,
2: we've gotten so far from that. It's,
1: it's, it is, it is difficult. You know, um, I always tell patients a little joke and you know, that saying, taste the rainbow skittles. Oh yeah. Very successful campaign. Taste the rainbow.
2: Absolutely. And the, what the
1: problem is, people aren't eating the rainbow. They're not eating colorful foods. They eat bland beige foods, chicken cheese tortillas, chicken cheese flour pizza. It has red. Well, they, hey, put there salt. they
2: put Dark salsa colors. on it. They put salsa on it.
1: Yeah, you know salsa, yeah. right, right. But <laughs> it's the bland foods. They lack the antioxidant capacity of colorful foods.
2: Last and month I did a. Last month I did a training class at. Um, I teach it once a month at True Garden, and I did. Um, Foods that balance your blood sugar, so you don't have those spikes, right? That are are low glycemic foods that help you have a very productive. um, uh, Let's call it
0: uh,
2: keep you at your peak performance, right, during the day versus having those highs and lows and
0: and those addictive things that you
2: talked about, right? Yep. Um, And then next month I'm teaching on um, eat the rainbow, so we're going to go through all the different nutrition aspects of different vegetables because. I I love when people say to me, I hate green things. Well, so try some orange things and red things and purple things. And it it, it does all kinds of things. I'm not a fan of cauliflower, but you put purple cauliflower in front of me. I love it.
1: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I think food is incredibly important. And the diversification, the variety of foods that we eat is very important. People that eat the same food over and over again literally get sick of it. Their body becomes angry and irritated and can get inflamed from it and the most common foods are problematic for a lot of people Um, not everybody has to be gluten-free not everybody has to be dairy-free but if those foods are hurting you you need to acknowledge it because you know if you get hurt a little bit like one little paper cut is not a big deal your body heals from it but thousands of paper cuts at a time you know like you have to really understand what's healing you what's nourishing you and I'm not nice. out here to demonize anything, although bacon is not a health food. All right, let's just be clear, right?
2: <laughs> bacon, All I right? think
1: that, um, right? And I understand that, that flavor matters, but we have amazing herbs and spices, and that goes beyond salt and pepper. Our, our American diet is extremely bland, extremely bland. So nice there are nice. a plethora of ways to impart flavor and make food taste great. And, you know, cooking methods can bring out flavors, caramelization, and things of sorts. So when people say, oh, you know, I couldn't be vegetarian or vegan. It's so boring. I'm like, you just haven't had good food. Um, I totally
2: just, agree with you. I'm, that. I'm totally not right. a
1: fan, Jen, of the, of the swap, of like the fake meat, because you're still giving yourself that, that in and out. Just don't, don't try to do fake cheese. Just don't eat cheese, you know. Just get off of that, of that habit. But it's hard for people because they miss the, that piece. That gives them that high, that addictive quality to it. So, swapping is important for a lot of people as a stepping stone. But just choose something else.
2: Let's take a quick break and come back and talk a little about swapping because I do some healthy swaps to get people off of bad things. And I just want to go, want to talk through them a little bit. So, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Welcome back to Food to Love. I am your host, Chef Jennifer Johnson with Witnessing Nature and Food, and we are back with Dr. Soar. And before we went on break, we talked a little bit about uh, the importance of food, what a healthy diet was, eat the rainbow, and we talked about swapping um, some foods. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that because I am, when I grew up on a dairy farm, Dr. Soar, I had no problem with dairy whatsoever. But as soon as we moved into the city and I started buying pasteurized products, my stomach is not my friend when I, right. when I like it. And I do, I love cheese. I, I absolutely grew up eating cheese, drinking milk. And I just, I can't drink milk. And I really stick towards sheep or goat cheese um, because those don't irritate me like cow based cheeses do. Yeah. <clears throat> and so some of the swapping that I do for my customers is I don't use things like sour cream. I put Greek yogurt in instead. Um, and I don't cook the Greek yogurt. I, um, Um, leave it cold so that the probiotics stay in there because if you a lot of people don't know that if you cook um the yogurts then it kills the good bacteria that you're actually trying to consume yeah um and then you know i change out i change out a lot of different things just from bad horrible foods for you to good things that and people don't even really notice the the difference in the flavor
1: yeah i think flavor and texture are the things that that get people when they're consuming foods you know if you eat salads all day long you're going to be so bored out of your mind also you don't eat mush or liquid food all the time there's no there's no zester there's no crunch so textures matter you know and um if you like imagine just eating applesauce like don't you want to just crunch into a a really juicy sweet apple versus applesauce Uh, I, i mean there's a time and a place but there, there's something about that variety that keeps us interested, and different, different things that matter. Um, the dairy industry is, is a very interesting uh, topic to discuss, and um, how probiotics play a role in it, and what happens when you do ferment foods and age things. Uh, I see a lot of patients that have histamine issues and allergic reactions, mm-hmm. or, or uh, his, high histamine levels. Fermented foods have a higher level of histamine. So as somebody who has allergies, fermented foods, or or into this, what we call histamine intolerance.
0: Mm -hmm. I have a
1: fantastic supplement that keeps histamine levels from getting released and high. So uh, it's helped a lot of people through allergy seasons and then having their chronic histamine levels. But um, above all of that, kind of getting back to where our food comes from. If you look at the overwhelming majority of dairy, dairy cows in particular, and how they live their life and how that milk is produced, you would not consume that if you knew where the source was. Um, it, it's, I, it's I would not, I would
2: agree. Not a good Absolutely life.
0: Agree.
1: Yeah. And, well
2: I I'd say we on our farm we didn't have you know, we had we had cows that were well taken care of and they were not treated right? the way some industrial yeah. farms are now.
1: Yeah, I think the the sourcing of foods really matters. And that even goes for meat. You know, a a big misnomer with meat and and even with dairy is we're all familiar with the word now Uh grass-fed. Oh, this is grass-fed. Okay. Is it grass-finished? And then people are like, Oh, that's
2: a a cheat that they do. You're absolutely right. You can go to the store and it says grass-fed, finished on corn. Right or corn-fed, finished on grass, and, and those don't are know what
1: implications. Are right? Yes,
2: yes, absolutely.
0: You know,
1: your grass has the omega threes. You know the omega three fatty acids are anti-inflammatory. Very important. Corn produces omega six fatty acids, which are inflammatory. Which are
2: sure. bad for you. Yes.
1: Yeah. So when that when that cow starts to convert over and have a higher level of omega sixes, that food. Is now an inflammatory product, and natural wild food that we've been eating for generations and generations before this past century. Food was different. It was healing. True,
2: true, and, and it's, it's very Vermont. true. It's very true. The the um, concept of you are what you eat. Even our animals are what they eat.
1: But we also live in a plastic wrap society. We're not dealing with it. It's literally in a cellophane wrapper and it looks perfect just the way you want to buy it on the on the shelf.
2: You mean with the red dye?
1: Yeah, right. Farm (laughs) raised, color added. Like what? They add color to salmon? Isn't it supposed to be pink? Well not when they feed it corn. Right. If that salmon ate shrimp, the krill, the plankton, it would develop that color from the natural carotenoids that are in that. But when you feed it corn, they gotta put food colouring in that in that food in that feed. To make that salmon turn orange, like there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And and even I used to work in a restaurant, and I I had a, a table who had asked me, is this salmon farm raised? So I went to the manager, and they're like, tell him it's farm raised in the wild. I was like, oh my god, I'm, <laughs> I'm lying. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What farm raised in the wild?
2: That's
0: called
1: aquaculture. I'm like, it's in the ocean, but they're in a pen. You know. They let the natural water <laughs> flow through. I'm like, yeah, but you're feeding them in there. They're not just <laughs> contained. You not to catch them. Like it's such a mess, and people it are being is. lied to all the time. And it just it's prepen- it It's business. It's economy. You know, it's capitalism. They're trying to use the littlest amount of input to create the most amount of profit, and that's a problem.
2: Well, so the ethics. marketing the marketing techniques today too are just uh, interesting yeah, because marketing I marketing industries bought. have
1: gotten better at marketing too. Everything is yeah. improving with with that with knowledge, right? We build on our on our um, the legs that we stand on. We keep building up higher and higher. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So
2: yes, I mean I saw I picked up some chicken um, from Whole Foods one day, and it said right on the right on the wrapper it said gluten free. It was raw chicken.
1: It's incredible yes, how seriously? ignorant the population is that they don't know what gluten is. But, oh, i got to be gluten-free. Yeah, chicken going to well, be gluten-free. Eggs are going to be gluten-free. Lettuce is gluten-free. Gluten comes from wheat. It's also barley and rye are also indicators of it. But that's it. You know? And yeah, uh, I, for people that are truly celiac, which have an autoimmune condition to where if they can even, if they're even in the room, they can't even walk into a bakery. If, if, exactly. if they can break That's out celiac. and but like, there's a major exactly. problem with celiac. Other people have non-celiac gluten sensitivity where it causes a gastroenteritis and, and inflammatory issues that isn't celiac per se, but uh, gluten is very simple. Um, and there are oats that you have to actually look for if you are sensitive. Um, is they're gluten-free oats. And it's not that oats have gluten. It's that they're processed on machinery when they're grinding it that has had wheat on it at some point or barley or rye.
2: Exactly. And just like people don't realize that once they pasteurize milk, they add a ton of sugar to it. And they, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the Jamie Oliver TEDx that talks about the fact that a kindergartner will eat a, if he drinks his recommended daily allowance of milk every day, then he will eat a wheelbarrow full of sugar in a year.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's staggering when I actually look at the, uh, st- the statistics, the epidemiology of diseases. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can go as deep as you like down that rabbit hole, but we really just have to educate and empower our listeners, our, our patients, the people around us in our community with good information and making choices and it doesn't have to be overnight and it doesn't have to be a hundred percent, but, you know, just gradually transitioning, like you were saying. So instead of using cream cheese, if somebody's sensitive to dairy, you know, why not do a cashew cream cheese and and there, it works just as well or skip the cheese element and maybe do guacamole, you know, do an avocado on something as a beautiful swap. Yeah, I showed
2: some of my students how to make a, um uh, over St. Patrick's Day, I showed them how to take coconut um, cream and mm. avocado and fresh mint and make a green mint whip as opposed to using cool whip and food color and, and mm. uh, creme de menthe sugar.
1: Oh, interesting. That's fantastic. I like, you know, innovation and creativity. It's, it's really what keeps our our culture moving forward. It's this constant evolution of trying new things, seeing what works, testing it out, and you know, constantly tweaking it. We stand on the shoulders of our forefathers, right, to so see what's happening. So, so true. Like with Julia Child and Jacques Pepin and all that, um, it's not that that food isn't relevant anymore, but I think food in our culture and with the mixing of different cultures is really being taken to another level and we have got food trucks and these really interesting ways of food it's not only the french culinary brigade with the white glove service it's it's different it's uh it's beautiful and i, and I love food and i oh, love yeah. eating the food that i do eat and people are like oh i couldn't live without meat i'm like you could you just don't want to there's no motivation so sometimes right, right. We'll need a little bit more motivation and that motivation could be education and not to scare people. But if you're at risk for heart disease in your family, you should probably do something about that earlier than later. One steak will not hurt you, but repeatedly consuming these types of foods over time is problematic. And, and true, you know, knowing how to do that is really a skill. We're not taught that. So we have to learn it. That's so I
2: True if you had we're about to finish up here so if you had one message to deliver to all of our listeners today what would that be
1: yeah i've already said it um listen to your body and if you don't know how to listen come see me i'll teach you how to listen but listen to your body your body is giving you signals all the time and sometimes those signals are not direct they're indirect so if you're getting a headache on a regularity uh or it's on one side and or if your stomach doesn't feel right or your heart is beating fast for no apparent reason or there are these other things you're like something's not right that's where diagnostics really come in handy and there's things that you can't do on your own so looking at our biomarkers what's going on with your hormones your neurotransmitters right what's going on with your gut health you know listening our immune system is sending out signals so learning it and, and how to really tune into that and responding accordingly instead of shutting it off. Uh, listening to the body is the most important thing you can do as an individual and seeking help uh, from somebody who's qualified to answer that. The person That's at
0: the is
1: not that person. Okay. The, That's their, a very good point.
2: Support, and WebMD is not the place. You don't get a symptom and go on WebMD. You go and see Dr. No, Thor. it's
1: very dangerous. Actually, people doing that. It's very dangerous. So, um, that's, where, that's where we come in. So I, I'm always the, the person's advocate. I, I make sure that we are doing something that is rational, that is conservative, and that's going to be effective. And, you know, if it comes all the way down to cancer, we have to point people in the right direction. If they don't want chemo or radiation or surgery, we have to listen to that and honor it. But also, if that's the best treatment that's going to get them on with their life, should do that, right? but it's up to them, and they need all the information. Going to a surgeon and saying the only only choice is surgery, that's a problem. Maybe it isn't the only choice. So uh, going so, for somebody who could be your advocate and helping you out and being with a point in the right direction. So listen to your body, and when you're ready, find that person who could be your advocate.
2: So Dr. swore that kind of is a leading question and to tell everybody how to find you, to connect with you, follow you. Um, I mean, I love yeah, everything I've, you do. So, I mean, I, I know where you are. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm really easy to find. I'm all over the internet. Uh, my website is SOHnatural.com. The SOH stands for source of health. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. I'm kind of on all the social media things, but Instagram is kind of my preferred source, uh, and the, the handle is at S-O-H natural A-Z, so S-O-H natural A-Z, and, you know, for all the listeners out there, I'd like to offer, you know, something, uh, you know, nominal, and just why don't we come in and start with a 10% off your first treatment, something as a little gift to all of your listeners out there, 10% off your first treatment, I think would be beautiful. That's
2: fantastic. Let them know how, so we, uh, so mention Food to Love, and and you can get a 10% discount. That's awesome.
1: Absolutely. Indefinitely. You're welcome.
2: Awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Soar. Um, I, like I said, I could talk to you, like, for 40 years straight, but um, I'm sure you have other things to do. So thank you again for joining us. Um, next week, everybody, we will have another great de- guest. We are going to have a Hawaiian healer on. And so to follow Witnessing Nature and Food, check us out on our website, witnessingnature.net, and like us on social media, and we will love you back.
1: Thanks, Jen.
0: Too busy to cook? Don't want a grocery shop? Take back your life. Let Witnessing Nature and Food provide you and your family with eco conscious, organic, tasty, nutritious meals. Headed by internationally trained chef Jennifer Johnson, you will enjoy the healthful food your body craves. Choose from Meal Prep.
1: Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, ranked one of the top cancer centers in the nation for the last 27 years. The doctors at MD Anderson treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime. And treatment plans are tailored to an individual patient's needs, allowing more comprehensive and thorough care. To become a patient, please visit makingcancerhistory.com.